the Magic Book Club podcast. Hello, you're listening to the Magic Book Club podcast. Welcome along. My name is Tom Price. And on this month's podcast, um, maybe you're listening to this and you're feeling, I don't know, a bit down, a bit drab, a bit rainy, a bit of ennui going on. Well, maybe we have the solution for you right now because we are interviewing the fabulous Mike Viking, uh, who has released a brand new book. It's called The Art of Making Memories. Mike, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, now, I should say, how are you? <laughs> Do you get this pressure because you're, what are you, CEO of the Happiness Institute? Happiness Research Institute. The Happiness Research Institute. Right, yeah. So what happens when you have a down day? I get fired. Okay, right, yes. <laughs> I love that. Mike has been really glum. We're going to have to let him go. How many people work at this place? We're nine people. And are you all really chirpy and happy? Not always. You are normal people. Yeah. Okay. Happiness researchers are people too. So yeah. we get stressed, we get frustrated, we get sad, we get lonely just as much as the next people. And I think that's important for happiness researchers to, to underline and say that, listen, the full spectrum of emotions are part of the human experience. You know, yeah. Hopefully we can create good conditions for good lives. Hopefully we can find ways to improve happiness. That's what our work is about. But in every person's life there's going to be periods of loneliness and struggle and and misery and uh, that comes with the package of being human why is it and this is a quite a big question to front load this interview with (laughs) why is it that the scandinavia think where are you from you're from uh, denmark you're from denmark right yeah yeah, but why is it we have this and denmark always wins the happiest place in the world or is it sweden who sometimes does it we're usually in the top five so it's 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 denmark it's norway Mm -hmm. it's finland that that are usually competing in the top three annoying question and you've been asked it a thousand times but what is it about scandinavia is it gender equality is it what's going on there that makes people feel happy because the weather's cold. You, know. <laughs> you mean the, the, the great weather and the good taxes? Uh, <laughs> yeah, beer costs about nine pounds. <laughs> so, so it is all of the above, what you said. It's, it's the Nordic welfare model. It's mm. access to healthcare. It's access to free university education. It is uh, fairly equal opportunities for, for men and women. Um, but I think, you know, the Nordic countries usually do really well in the happiness rankings, and often they're called the happiest countries in the world. You could also turn it around and say perhaps they're the least unhappy countries because yeah. these rankings are based on averages. And if you're really good at reducing causes for unhappiness, well, that brings up the average, uh, and that's why you come out on top. But, I mean... I'm a big fan of the Nordic countries. I, I love living in Copenhagen. I love that I love Copenhagen so 50% much. of us are cycling to work. 50% of the members of parliament are cycling to work. I love that they have invested money in cleaning up the water in the harbor so I could go swimming in the summertime in the inner harbor. Does that happen now? Is that a thing? Well, I mean, summer lasts for about four hours. So <laughs> well, I'm familiar with that in London as well, so that's fine. But yeah, it does happen. Um, but I think, you know, of course, every country have issues. Yeah. Uh, and in in my last book, uh, the little book of Lugge, I joked about the uh, myth around the Scandinavian utopia, and I wrote that you know in Copenhagen, people leave the office at noon, <laughs> and free Lego is handed out in the streets. And uh, I thought it was no. And then I wrote, um, ah, but some things are also uh, troubling because five years ago there was a train that arrived five minutes late, but. <laughs> The passengers got a letter of apology from the prime minister and a designer chair of their choice. I thought that was obviously a joke. But there was a, a journalist, uh, actually from the New York Times, who wrote me, 
Did that really happen? Amazing. Or was it a joke? Amazing. Of course, I wrote her back that, of course, it was a joke. Our trains are never late. <laughs> <laughs> That's impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> but it's true. We do all look at that model and we think, wow, it looks amazing and perfect. But there are so many things, there's so many lessons we can learn from that and so many lessons we can learn from what you do. So your last book was called um, The the Little Book of... I'm going to say it wrong. Look, look, look. That's why I get look, you to look, say it. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I and just, I can see you saying. I mean, this is revenge from third grade. I had to Josh. learn to pronounce th. Unbelievable. Okay. Unbelievable. I can't believe the <laughs> Vikings are back tormenting us again. The little book. The little book of Looker. The little book of Looker. How do you yes. say Hugger? Hugger. We, we say Hugger. Hugger. Yeah. The little book of Hugger was my my first book. So that, so, so the Hugger thing mm-hmm. that went crazy a few years ago, and we will get onto your new book in a right. sec. Take us through the the Hugger thing, which everyone started saying this word all of a sudden, and it's basically cozy. Is that? It right? is consciously cozy. It's the is the art of creating a nice atmosphere. I mean, you are. I mean, I can hereby appoint you the official ambassador of Hugger to the UK because, I mean, this is a hugely situation. We're having a good conversation. I'm having good coffee. Yeah. What's not to like? So so it is having a nice time with people you enjoy spending time with. It is savoring simple pleasures in life. And of course, that happens everywhere. But what is uniquely Danish is that we had, uh, for some part of, of, of history, a word that uniquely described uh, that situation. Now, hygge is everywhere. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, you know, Danes see hygge as part of the national identity, part of a national culture, yeah. the same way that Americans see freedom as inherently American. But of course, freedom happens everywhere. But uh, yeah, that came out in, in 16. Uh, it also got me into trouble, actually, uh, from time to time. So well, back so, home? Or? Well, no, I mean, I, I, so uh, in, in uh, my latest book, I talk about this incident uh, on this morning show uh, because of... In the ha- U- here in the UK? Here in the UK, yeah. Okay. So this, this was a couple of years ago. I, I, was, I was talking about my, my latest book at that time, uh, Luke. And I was on uh, this morning show, and you have those sort of seven minutes to, to present your new book. Mm. And I think it's going well. Yeah. Uh, but then towards the end of the show, uh, Phil says, like you, you know, so earlier you, you've written uh, The Little Book of Hugo, you've written The Little Book of Luke, what are you going to write about next? And I just wanted to compliment his Danish. It was really well done. Yeah. Um, and I also know a lot of people here in the UK, they watched some of the Danish TV dramas, you know, The, the Killing, The Bridge. Obsessed. And Obsessed with them. I'm a big fan as well. Amazing. You probably but, don't need the subtitles, to be fair. I need the subtitles. <laughs> Bad. And the worst thing about those shows is that you, you watch them long enough, you think you've learned the language because you've heard it so much. And that, that's what I thought. I thought, okay, Phil has watched uh, perhaps Borgen, yeah. like you pronounce it, right? Oh. Um, and, and then I say, oh, well done on pronouncing Danish. You must have been watching a lot of Danish bone, which is how we pronounce it. Mm. But what Phil hears oh, is gosh. you must have been watching a lot of Danish Port. So he starts to laugh. Holly starts to laugh. Everybody's laughing. I have no idea what's going on. It's German exam all over again. Um, and and I think Holly says, "What did he say?" I'm afraid to ask. And that's the end of the interview. <laughs> that's it. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what's happened there? You know what's happened there, Mike? You've made a memory exactly. right there. Exactly. And that brings us so beautifully onto your brand new well book. Well done. That's why you do what you do. <laughs> Tell us about the new book. Tell us about it. So the new book is called The Art of Making Memories. Yeah. And the inspiration uh, for that came uh, a couple of years ago when I turned 40. And that means, statistically speaking, I have lived half my life. I just read that in a book and I was like, I'm turning 40 next year. And I, that's literally the sentence I read when you arrived. And that instantly it's, made me go, ah. <laughs> It's not as bad as you think. Okay. You will survive. 
But it we're, in also, room, we're in a room full of people who are way under 30 looking at us going, Suckers, so long, you're basically dead. <laughs> they got to ask, so what did you do during the American Civil War? So, right? <laughs> so um, no, but I mean, turning 40 in Denmark means, statistically speaking, I have lived half my life. Because on average, we live till we're 80. And that just meant I started to reflect on, okay, what were actually my happiest moments in my first 40 years? What are my happiest memories and how can I use that going forward to create happy moments uh, and happy memories in the future? And also, my career is dedicated to two questions. Um, A, why are some people happier than others? Mm. And B, how can we increase happiness for people? Yeah. And I can see that happy memories are part of the answer to both questions. We can see that people who are able to retrieve happy memories, people who are able to form a positive narrative about their past are on average happier. So naturally, we need to be start making more happy memories. So I read somewhere, because I'm fascinated by this topic, I read somewhere uh, a couple of years ago that you are only ever capable of being about 10% happier than you were as a kid. In, in that you're sort of pre-programmed almost to be a certain level of happiness. And you can never, no matter how much work you do, you know, reading these books or trying to improve your circumstances, your your muscle memory, if you like, your brain's ability, your 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 body's ability to feel that happiness, you can never really increase it that much from what you had as a kid. Mm, you you can increase it. I think, I think we, but there is also a genetic component. Mm. I think we should look at happiness the same way we look at health. Okay. So how long you're going to live, that is based partially on your genetics, you're predisposed for some diseases. Secondly, on where you live in the world. I mean, the level of air pollution in London, the quality of the healthcare service in the UK. And then thirdly, the choices you make on a daily basis. So I'm doomed. I'm absolutely doomed. (laughs) Okay, great. Dead by the end of the interview. This is not working. I'm not happy. So so do you smoke, do you drink, do you exercise and so on, right? So you have some control over your uh, life expectancy. And the same Uh, with happiness. We can see, yes, there is a genetic component. We can see identical twins have fairly similar happiness levels. And yes, where you live also matters. There's a reason why the least happy countries in the world are Syria, Afghanistan, for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, there is something you can do. What you choose to spend your time on, uh, who you spend your time with, um, uh, do you exercise? A lot of things we can actually control that impact uh, our happiness levels. Okay, so there is something you can do about it. And there is something. One of the things you can definitely do is read this book because whilst it's got really fascinating uh, bits of information in it, like um, I love the thing about nostalgia, that, that at one stage people thought we had a nostalgia bone. Right. So back in the 1600s, it was considered a disease, uh, a Swiss a physician at the time uh, called it the uh, mercenaries disease because he observed that uh, mercenary troops from Switzerland fighting in the lowlands of Europe, you know, they were crying, they were missing home, and um, they were they were they were homesick. Yeah. And uh, he thought it was caused by the drop in uh, air pressure going from the high Swiss Alps to the lowlands of Europe. That right. must clearly have damaged their brains. Has to be what it was. Um, but over time, we come to understand that there is actually a lot, of, a lot of benefit in engaging in nostalgic moments. So mm. when people are feeling nostalgic, when they feel alone, uh, they engage in, in nostalgic moments to think back of times where they connected with people. And yeah. is this bittersweet feeling of having experienced um, a sense of happiness, a sense of connection, a sense of love, 
that we perhaps uh, perhaps have lost. Have you heard? Because I'm Welsh, and there's a Welsh word called hiraith. Have you heard about hiraith? No. Oh, you should look into this, right? Yeah. So hiraith is this. Actually, it's kind of nostalgia, bittersweet, and it is that feeling of wanting to be back home with your community, surrounded by your family. And there's a very common thing. A lot of uh, certainly in the valleys in South Wales. Families, they don't move far. And that's not for any socioeconomic reasons. It's choice. People don't want to move right. away from, from where they belong and their home and their, their communities. And when they do, they have this nebulous feeling of hereith, just this longing, homesick. Right, space. right. Um, and, and I think part of that could be also that, you know, you stop being around people who you share a common story with. Yes. You, know, you, you can't reminisce with people you have just met. Right. Remember the time we were sitting on the frozen lake and we tried to open a bottle of wine with a shoe. Mm, right, mm. Uh, which is one of the memories we collected for the book. And that, I mean, you need time to create new memories with new friends. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I, I see why that could be a loss. Yeah, yeah. It, it's quite a big... Um, it, it's, it's a challenge to be in a situation... So, for example, I've just got back from summer. We had an amazing summer holiday. And at the time, on a day-to-day basis, I was uh, engaged in looking after the kids, thinking of things to do, putting sun cream on them, getting in, having a swim in time for us to get out and have food on time. Right. You know I mean? the, the, so, the logistics of it. And if you said to me, are you having a good time today? I'd have said, yeah, it's fine. And yet now, here I am six weeks later saying, that was one of the most magical <laughs> holidays. Yeah. What is going on there? Yeah, so, so what we can see is uh, that people have actually two sides or two... Uh, selves they have the experiencing self who mm. is putting on sun lotion four times an hour yeah. on the kids and then the remembering self you know you two months afterwards thinking back of the lovely afternoon in the sun and the kids were laughing and yes so on. Yeah, yeah yeah those two will sometimes disagree over whether that moment was Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was something that Daniel Kahneman uh, studied. Uh, Daniel Kahneman, you know, uh, won the Nobel Prize in economics. He's a psychologist and basically the Beyonce of, of behavioral economics. Okay, good. Um, so, so he have done a lot of studies, a lot of trials that show that the remembering self and the experiencing self differ. So uh, I cover this in the book. And if you do a trial where... Uh, the participants in the experiment first put their hand, one hand in water, which is 14 degrees, for 60 seconds, uh-huh. which is uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, and then the second trial, they put the other hand in water, also 14 degrees, also 60 seconds, but then an additional 30 seconds with 15 degrees, which is still unpleasant, but not as unpleasant as the 14 degrees. Mm. Now, if you ask the participants, which trial would you like to repeat? the majority of them will prefer the second trial, even though they get as much discomfort as the first one, plus additional discomfort. So what Kahneman says is what shapes, what colors our memory of an experience is the peak-end rule. So how it was at the peak, either uh, great or worst moment, and how it ended. So the ending is really uh, important. Okay, But it also means that sometimes we make bad decisions. It means that our experiencing self, that's the one who makes decisions because mm. that's the one that keeps track of our memory, uh, the, the remembering self is. The experiencing self is just going through life, you know, living three seconds at a time, 50 million times over our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it means that the, 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 the uh, remembering self will make the experiencing self do things that are actually more unpleasant than should be. So in that sense, our, our remembering self is, is kind of a prick. <laughs> uh, so and, and that's unfortunate, but uh, but it is it, it is one of the things we can then harness and use. So we can actually, 
for example, for, for uh, you know, using the peak end rule, if you're giving several uh, Christmas gifts to your kids at, at, uh, at Christmas, yeah. maybe you want to end with the best one uh, mm-hmm. to, to sort of uh, mm. create that. The headlining present, the big one. Okay, good. That's a good tip. Yeah. And there's lots of other uh, tips in this book. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, life hacks, I guess. Um, things like, and talking of kids, actually, uh, tell your kids, and we do, and I was really pleased about this tip. Because we sort of subliminally do this already. When something funny has happened or there's a good anecdote that we've all been involved in, uh, my wife and I will talk about it a few times on purpose right. to cement it in so exactly. that it's in there. Exactly. Because that's what we do. Parents are, we're memory manufacturers for right. our kids. That's what I feel the pressure of. It. Thank you. That's one of the core messages of the book, that we can actually take control over our memory or influence it. I think a lot of people think of memory as something random and something coincidental, but we can actually influence to some degree what we and our kids remember. So becoming that memory architect you describe and staying ahead of the forgetting curve are, are one of the ways to do that. Because, so tell me, the, tell me yeah, about this. So, so memory works a little bit like a muscle. So the more you think of something, the more you strengthen the connection in the brain around that memory. So memory is not stuck in one place in your brain. When you think of something, your brain takes bits and pieces from different parts of the brain and recreates that scene. So what did it look like? What did it smell like? How did I feel about the whole thing? That is recreated. So the more you think of something, the more you strengthen that memory and it gets transferred to your long-term memory. You can also think of of memory like uh, Santa, if you don't think of it, it ceases to exist. Yeah. So the perfect, uh, the, the, the perfect sort of visualization of what memory is, is a really muscular sensor. I mean, really jacked. Uh, and I actually did a presentation yesterday uh, for, for a group, and I had found a picture online of a really muscular sensor. <laughs> uh, by the way, I get some really freaky Google ads uh, these days. <laughs> you need to clean out your yeah, cookies yeah, I do, yeah. after that. <laughs> but but uh, it also means that, that, that we can actually influence uh, what we remember. And, yeah. and one, of the, one of my favorite uh, memories we collected, uh, so, so we did a, a huge collection of happy memories at the Happiness Research Institute and gathered happy memories from 75 different countries. It's like you're sort of keeping seeds. You know, like people who are the... Uh, People preparing for the apocalypse. Right. They just get loads of seeds which they can grow plants from in the future. You're laying down memories yeah. like a wine cellar or something. Right, exactly. Exactly. And we got it from, from Nepal and Norway and, and New Zealand. Uh, but one of my favorites was, was actually coming here from the UK. Uh, a British lady in her 30s who, uh, together with her family, decided to go to the beach and cook food over open fire. And they go to the beach and it's cold, and it's windy, and they struggle with getting the fire going, and they end up eating this half-cooked porridge full of sand uh, on this windy beach. But she says it was unrivaled family time. They're sitting under big blankets, huddled around the fire, and now it's become this really, really fun memory of something that that bonded. Uh, but at the, the time, together. was it bad? That's the question. Probably, the experience experience like, probably thought... Hey, I prefer my oat, uh, oatmeal without yeah. uh, without sand. But yeah. what she might do now is is do like you and your wife does. Talk about the incident with the kids. Um, maybe also she could go back to that beach and pick up a stone. If you know it's a bigger stone, you could use it as a paperweight. Or if it's a small stone and she has daughters, maybe she can turn it into a necklace. Because you also want to sort of connect your memories, your stories, your anecdotes with manifestations. Because mm. that will help you trigger a memory of that event in the future. So basically what you need to do is you need to start thinking like you're the arch enemy of Marie Kondo. 
right? <laughs> Instead of getting rid of the stuff, you need to you need to start you know finding stuff that yeah. makes you trigger. So, do you have everyone. issues with the Marie Kondo? Get rid of everything, hold it, see if it gives you joy, and ditch it. If that makes people happy, mm. do it. But okay. I'm interested in making sure that people have happy memories 10, 20, 50 years from now. I'm a hoarder. I'm a hoarder because I go back and I, you know, you look at, um, so for example, when I was doing comedy, you know, uh, at the Edinburgh Festival, late 90s, and I kept all the, the brochures with all the different shows in. And I remember my show. I remember doing my show. I remember all of that. But I, I'm looking at the brochure when I was cleaning out the loft because my, my wife is like, we need to throw everything away because she's having a massive Marie Kondo moment. <laughs> and I'm holding this brochure thinking, yeah, she's right. I remember my show. But then I'm flicking through it and I see other people's show. Right. I'm seeing all these connections, this yeah. web of other exactly. things that happen. So, all these memories start coming And in. that's what is amazing about memory as well. I, I have huge respect for our memories now. There's so much stored in there. We just need triggers to help us retrieve some of those happy memories. So well done on keeping them. But what you also might do if you don't want to be the arch enemy of Marie Kondo. You know, yeah. Together with your kids, you might want to create a happy treasure map. So I'm, around... writing, this I'm writing this down. <laughs> like happy it's treasure a, map is amazing. This is my the, jam. It's in the book. It's in the book. Right, okay. It's in the book. Um, so so the 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 uh, concept is quite uh, simple. You know, rename places to fit happy memories. Uh, so for the family that went to the beach, uh, you might want to rename that place uh, Wild Windy Beach. Um, so I've done it uh, every year, every year, every summer. I go to uh, the island of uh, Bonholm in the Baltic Sea. And of course, the places on the island have official names. I have just renamed them, some of them, to, to fit what I have had of fun experiences on the island. So there is um, there's a Spearfishing Bay. There is a Wild Cherry Forest. Um, there is a Skinny Dip Cove. Lovely afternoon. This is great. Um, and, and that just helps me because then we will talk about those places by those names. You, yeah. you want to go over to, to Wild Cherry Forest. And I will remember an evening where we just had dessert eating wild cherries off, off the tree. Yeah. So that's one of the ways you can do it. Another thing. Are you you're still writing down? I mean, it's okay. just brilliant. Okay. I'm just thinking next time I go past my favorite supermarket, I'm going to be like, oh, that, that, that's two for one granola supermarket. <laughs> that was the best day of my year. <laughs> <laughs> go on, keep going, keep going. Well go on, so what you also might do is, I'm sure you have a lot of photos on, on your phone. Yeah, right? thousands. From yeah. the holiday you had recently. Yes, yes. Yeah. Here's Tom putting on sunscreen. Here's do you want to see them? I can show them, Mike. I can yeah. take you through them if you yeah. like. Let's, let's, let's go. But you had thousands, exactly. Yeah. And, and perhaps you don't do what, what you and I used to do when we were growing up. You were growing up in the 80s as well, right? Mm. So we had old school photo albums with pictures. Yeah. Of, of big events, of holidays and birthdays and so on. And, and at least in my family, we looked at those photo albums. Mm. Um, but now we have thousands of photos on our phone and we don't look at them the same way because it's, it's overload, right? So one of the suggestions in the book is that once a year, gather family, gather friends, uh, and curate the happy hundred mm. or happy ten. So what you do is you go through all the digital photos and then you decide with your friends or with your family which were actually our happiest moments this year. Such a good what idea. are my fondest memories? And it's a good exercise also if you have kids. Yeah. You'll get their view on which, which moment did I actually enjoy. Was it you know, mm. the 50th time that dad said, put on sunscreen! <laughs> uh, or, or was it something else? So, so it's a nice conversation. I think it'll be a nice memory in itself. And of course, then you get those 50, 20 or 100 photos printed out yeah. and put in an old school photo album. But I love this. So as Christmas approaches, and we've kind of, we've kind of done this by accident because we do um, photo calendars. Every year we make a calendar oh, brilliant. for the family and we have to choose our best bits yeah. of the year. So it's a very similar thing, but it's become every November, uh -huh. we sort of gather around the laptop and, uh, and do that. And it yeah. makes you look at your year and... 
it gives you that injection yeah. of happiness, doesn't it? What you also might do is um, you might want to create a, a, a personal private uh, social media account. Mm-hmm. So where you take pictures, upload pictures of your everyday. Um, because I think when we, when we post stuff on social media, we're too sort of mindful of how will this be received and yes. what am I signaling Displaying with this? Displaying it to What's the, the people. right caption to write to this? Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. Uh, humbled and blessed. <laughs> um, <laughs> My gorge rose as you said that. Uh-uh. Please. Right? So, so maybe it can be quite liberating for people to just post something on a private channel that only you can access, uh, that is only interesting for you and will trigger memories 10 years down. Uh, down the line, right? It's a fascinating thing because this book can come across as quite a a simple, almost like a novelty present, but actually its importance is massive, isn't it? What you're saying about people, the the sort of insight into human psychology is I was surprised to see how big an influence our memory is. It shapes who we are. It is our identity. I mean, there's one Harry Potter book where I think it's Voldemort who who wants to steal Harry's memories and Harry knows if he succeeds he'll stop being who he is. And imagine not being able to remember anything. Mm. How would you feel? So, so it, it's how we connect with other people. It's how we present ourselves. Um, it also shapes sort of our hopes and dreams for the future. Um, and it also impacts our behavior. So, so one of the experiments I, I cover in the book is something called the, uh, the false memory diet. Oh, wow. Go on. <laughs> yes, love this. <laughs> so, so what the researchers did was they implanted the false memory in some of the participants that when they were kids, they loved to eat asparagus. And uh, because of this false memory, uh, these particip- participants will now be more likely to order asparagus in a restaurant and be willing to pay more uh, for asparagus at, at a food court. So, so it impacts how we feel. Um, and that's something that advertisers will use that, won't they? As you mentioned in the book, they, right. will, they will generate a nostalgia for yeah. chicken McNuggets. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 is, it is a trick being used in the marketing industry. Mm. Uh, Don Draper talks about it in, in Mad Men. He says, well, the, you know, the, the main idea in marketing is new because it creates an itch. But there's also a second opportunity to create a stronger, more emotional bond with the product. And that is uh, nostalgia. Mm. Uh, so, because it's the feeling of being loved, it's going back in time to a place where we were loved. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, McNuggets have been using uh, nostalgia. Uh, yeah. There's this. There was this um, McDonald's commercial a few years ago when they launched McNuggets without some. Uh, is that, uh, the antibiotics weren't in it. They yeah, took out right, in about 2016. Right. They took and they had this commercial where there's a split screen, there's a boy on one side, there's a girl on the other side, and then the boy passes his things over to the girl, uh, like his bike and toy, and as he passes them over to the girl, they, they become a modern version uh, mm. of, of an older version. And then in the end, you know, he, he gives her uh, a McNugget and he slides over to her side of the screen and he's a grown man now, and surprise, her dad. Oh, and it's man. all with, you know, accompanied with Cindy Lauper's time after time oh, music. A classic song here I on Magic. I start to cry. Yeah, you're getting I don't me. even like nuggets. I'm suddenly hungry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's maddening. But that shows you the potency of nostalgia, right, doesn't exactly. it? And it shows exactly. you as well, and something which this is all built on is absence. That is the human condition, isn't it? When we are absent from something, that's what absence makes the yeah. heart grow fonder. But that is what drives this. It's a classic human emotion. It's what um, the Iliad... Um, or the Odyssey is about. Mm. 
what's he called in English? Odysseus, we would call him in, in, in Danish. So the guy who spent 20 years coming back from the Trojan War. Uh, yeah, Odysseus. Yeah, okay, yeah, Odysseus. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so that is essentially about nostalgia, logging to, to return home. But it's also being used nowadays. I mean, Trump, his campaign is based on nostalgia, right? Mm-hmm. Let's make America great again. Exactly when was that? Oh, mm. some time ago. Mm. Give, us, uh, give me a number. Right, yeah. Give me a number when yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so it's interesting to see how big a uh, tool it is and how important it is and how it's being used in advertising and yeah. politics and so on. Yeah. It can be used for products. It can be used for evil. But it can also be used for your own personal gain. And exactly. in this book, I really, I think there's, there's so much in this. Uh, the Art of Making Memories by the wonderful Mike Viking is out now. Mike, I could talk to you for hours, but I'm not allowed to. Because, you know, we've got to go on with our lives. We've got to go make some memories. I look forward to your 40th birthday. <laughs> you'll be there. You'll be there. <laughs> so much. We're going to be, uh, yeah, we're going to be feeding everyone asparagus. It's going to be great. Uh, thanks for coming in, Mike. What a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for having me.